Hello, Sam Homewood here. Before we get started, just a reminder that you can now listen to the United podcast over on the official Manchester United app. The added bonus is you'll get more related articles and clips, but if you register with your email, you can watch every episode in full for free. So it's worth switching over to the app if you like the flexibility of being able to listen and watch our podcast. As you may have heard me say at the end of last week's episode, we're taking a short break for a few weeks, but in that time, we're going to replay some of our classic episodes as we have some brilliant guests that we can see not everybody has scrolled back far enough to discover. This week's in particular is a perfect example, our very first episode with the legend that is Brian Robson. We started off in the car park of the club's old training ground, The Cliff, and made our way inside to find out more about Robbo's experiences there and more about the man himself. This was a great start to our podcast journey, and we really hope you enjoy it. We're in the car park of the cliff with today's guest, Brian Robson. He's amazing. They've both been here before. Helen, you've been here before? I've only been here once, actually, in nine years. Perfect. So we're going to get a tour from these guys. Yeah. We'll start with the car park. Robbo, where did you park? I was not bad, because I used to park sort of one of those three, because I used to drop the kids off at school. And I would be one of the first at the train ground because I just came straight here, I didn't go back home. But this hasn't changed at all. Car park's exactly the same size as what it was. You know, no fence in here because fans used to be able to come in and just stand on the embankment there, watch training. The old toilet's still there. Um, yeah, so it's not glamorous, is it? No. It's not. No, it no. was never glamorous. <laughs> It must have been a big change for you, Maisie. You obviously didn't make the transition to Carrington, Brian, but you did during that time. It must have been did, so yeah, different I, going I, there. I still spent five years there, so as Rob said, it's it's never changed. I was I was just over there, and then we all got designated car park spaces. But I always remember parking in that spot, and there used to be a sign on the wall, AF Alex Ferguson, and I parked there thinking, oh, that's all right, right next to the right next to the front door, <laughs> not knowing that of it's a gaffer's spot. What did you think well, the AF meant? That, 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 was, no. that was the only thing. That, well, down, the, down that side, that was for staff. Mm-hmm. So no, none of the players could park down that, that, down didn't. that side. I didn't know well, that. How long did you park there for before well, someone? 25 minutes. Oh, right. And then uh, Harold said he's parked there. And then Harold used to be the guy who used to look after the car park and everything else. But yeah. Maisie's a bit like that when he goes playing golf. He just parks in the chairman's spot going, no, I didn't see that sign. <laughs> Captains. So a lot of newspapers now run most of their stories just based on taking pictures and publishing them of players turning up to training in flashy cars. Was it like that here? Well, you've got to remember I joined in the early 80s. Um, and so none of the lads really had flash cars then, unless you call uh, a Grenada Ford. Uh, a flash car at that time. I mean, it was a decent car, uh, but when I was at West Brom and Ronnie Allen, the manager at the time, he called me into his office and he went, you can go up and you can speak to Manchester United. And I went, oh, thanks very much, Gaffer, and everything. Went to walk out of the office and he went, hey, where are you going? I says, well, I thought you'd just said that, go and talk to Man United. He went, yeah, he says, what are you doing with the keys? So I had to leave the me car keys because it was a club car, and I had to leave. So make your own way there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was one of them. So when I came here, I didn't have a car anyway. <laughs> uh, but then uh, Danny McGregor, the old commercial manager, he uh, sorted out uh, a Granada Ford. So I think that was probably about the flashiest car any of the boys had in them days. Yeah, pretty much the same. Big Pete had a big 500 SEL Merc. Um, and then 
I think I think Bex probably was the first one to come in with a Porsche. And it was like, wow. Were you all having a go in up? Getting in the night? I remember I tell you, I, I, I had a Subaru, Subaru Impreza. I loved it. And then Giggsy went out and got the top of the range, 22B, whatever it was. And then me, Scolzi and Butty doing pre-season, uh, Butty nicked the keys. So we ended up shooting up Littleton Road up here, like a bat out of hell. And honest to God, there's a quite a sharp turn at the top and I'm thinking it'd be all right. It's a Subaru. Honest to God, how on earth we didn't write that car off. <laughs> Must be doing 90 mile an hour up the up Littleton Road. Um, but obviously Butty being Butty, you know, he couldn't take it slow, but... But he was, he was a horrendous driver, wasn't he? There was one year when he just passed his test. I think he must have crashed the car about six times, like within a couple of months, and you're going, uh, you know, you're not supposed to smash into people. Like, you know. Could have been any worse than Andre. Andre was absolutely horrendous. He got so many car park tickets that he just parked anywhere, Andre. What I find amazing is whenever you come in here, it's so open, isn't it? And when you go all modern training grounds, you know, they're all closed off to the public. You do see some fans waiting for autographs and that kind of thing. But as you say, people just come in and watch training. I just find it amazing. So even if it was closed off in the gates, you can still see. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But that was what you were used to. If they ever close the gates, they just go on fencing. Yeah. Over the back of the stands and just watch training or... You know, if something was happening, maybe the Eric incident in 95, 96, the big guys on stepladders looking over the wall. It was mental. So for those that have never been, there's obviously there's houses that look over. I mean, people could be watching us. Yeah. When, when I first came here, uh, I mean, at West Brom, open training ground as well, uh, but none of the fans used to come up. But here you used to have sort of 30, 50 people, the same people, and that was their life coming to watch us train every morning. The same people would be there. They ask you for a photo every day, ask you for an autograph every day. Uh, but that was more or less their lives. But then all of a sudden, it changed. And I think that's what changed. When Giggsy and Sharpie came into the first team, and then it sort of got this charisma around them two. Uh, all of a sudden, there'd be like a thousand, two thousand people, and that's when Salix then decided that he had to control it that little bit more, and people couldn't just walk in because they'd encroach onto the pitch and everything. And that, but uh, so I think that's what changed things when Sharpie and Giggsy came through. Do you ever see any of those people that you used to see at the training ground? Only last week, I was up at Middlesbrough uh, doing a dinner, and this guy came up. And when he was four, he was with his dad. And you, you could tell the building behind him, and it definitely was the cliff. And it was a photo of me and him when he was four. Uh, you know, So you do get people come up with the old photos. It's incredible. As lovely as this car park is, with its mismatching outfold and uh, brown leaves scattered all over the place, should we head inside? Sure. Let's have a little Great. look. Do you want to lead the way, guys? Because, I mean, Helen and I don't really know where we're going. No. Nope. So is this the main door, Maisie, we're going in now yeah, on the left? Yeah, this has always been the main door to the left here. We'll get the door. There we go. Security. Go on, Alan. Thank you. See the two of you. <laughs> yeah, so th this has always been a little reception area here where if people have got meetings, they, they would have to sit in here and wait. And when the gaffer was doing uh, media, they would all have to sit in here and wait until the boss was ready for them. And this is where it first started off signing balls and everything like that, shirts and stuff. You know, you'd have to come in and Harold would be there and you, you couldn't go down to his changing rooms until you've signed all the balls. Been in here three seconds, I've just walked through a spider's web. It smells musty, doesn't it? It's like being in an old school. What does it feel like being back in here? 
Uh, well, I was only in here about five minutes ago, so it feels quite <laughs> the norm now. But actually, when I did actually walk in, it, it did bring back so many memories, you know, walking down to the, into the changing rooms, going, wow, this is like, it's exactly the same. Nothing's changed. And um, it just brings back so many memories, it does. Is it like that for you, Robbie? Yeah, because like Dave says, it, it's not really changed at all. And when you think, uh, as far as I know, when Sir Bobby and George Best, Dennis Law, Paddy Crow, and all these sort of people trained here um, and came through, I don't think it's really changed from when they were actually training here as well. It'd be quite, it'd be really interesting to see, you know, the, the people who have walked through that door. Okay, so where does this lead to? Well, I've got to say this. This is so funny. This, this is where we were all hiding and we all stood at the top of the steps here. And Giggsy, he just got in the first team and he played about 10 games. He come in this one morning and like I go to him, Giggsy, I think you deserve a club car now. You've been in the team long enough. Go and see the gaffer. Do you think so, Robert? Do you think so? And I'm going, yeah. And so anyway, Giggsy gets changed and everything, gets his gear on. Comes up these steps, goes into the gaffer's office. Well, oh, Cincy and Brucey and all them strikes. We're all like this. And the next minute you hear, get out of my office! And <laughs> 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 comes out. He's going, you <laughs> 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 That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Where was the manager's office? So yeah, we walked up here and then just round to the left here, this was the gaffer's office with its own little ensuite. Nice. There's a real smell in here, oh, isn't there? Oh my goodness. He's got a bath. Is, yeah, but I did, mean... Do you ever see him in the bath? No. Uh, the only person I ever saw in the bath was Ron Atkinson. And would he use yeah. it? Oh yeah, Ron, big Ron did, yeah. But, I mean, when you think that this was Sir Matt Busby's office first, then you had Ron Atkinson. Ron used to have a sunbed across here. <laughs> I actually never knew whether that story was true, but it is. No, no, that was true, because that door would be locked and you could be knocking out saying, Gaffer, can I have a word for a bit? He was slotting his no coins chance. in. <laughs> yeah, he was under the sunbed. <laughs> What's that like as a player? To know that's what he's doing? Didn't really bother us. I mean, I mean, he'd be doing that after training and all that when he's got a bit of spare time to himself. But Big Ron always loved the sun. You know, he loved to have a bit of a tan, uh, which you, can't, doesn't, you don't get it easy in England, do you? But, uh, <laughs> do you remember the first time you were in here? No, I don't really remember the first time. I mean, I, I got me first rollicking off the bus in, in this room. Because he had a few letters saying that I'd been out on the town with Whiteside and McGrath and he wanted to see me. He got me in here and he just said, look, he says, I'm getting too many letters about you lot going out drinking. He says, from now on, he says, I don't mind you having a few drinks at the weekend. He says, but I don't want you drinking in the week. So, yeah, OK, boss, if that's what you want, you know, that's what you'll get. I think that's why Paul and Norm had to move on because they kept drinking in the week <laughs> which I where I behave myself a little bit <laughs> you said that you heard Giggsy getting told off like I'm sure it's not very soundproof I'm sure you heard a lot of people through that door did you yeah is everything so close together here yeah as you say that you know there's only the kitchen through that wall so you know any any things that are going on you, you just know you just sit there as quiet as you can just just 
waiting for him to finish. And yeah, nod, agree, whatever, whatever yeah, he says. You're right. Yeah, you're right. And then, you know, off you, off you, off you toddle like, get out and uh, get on with the rest of the day. Uh, did you hear the one about Incy in here? Uh, it's so funny. The gaffer tore into Incy like uh, the weekend about his performance and all that. So uh, Incy went up and he's gone. I'm going to get the gaffer, I'm going to get the gaffer. So uh, anyway, the gaffer always came in here and then he'd go into the coaches' room, have the meeting with uh, the coaches uh, and then he'd come back in his office. So Incy brings a pellet gun in and he goes in into here and Incy reckons he was like, he'd got the door there and he waits for the boss to go and sit, sit down. And he comes out and he just points the gun and the gaffer's gone... Ah, <laughs> and then he comes out with a pellet gun as if he's going to shoot him. So the guy, he said he, the guy ran around the desk and then he's trying to get out the door and he's went banging, smacked him across the back of the head. <laughs> oh my word, that was absolutely brilliant. And then he left a couple of weeks after. <laughs> yeah, and then he got sold. drinking. <laughs> was this always the setup? Because as it is, as you come in, We've got one wall is just glass looking over the pitch. The desk is in the corner. Then there's this ensuite with a toilet and the bath sink, a shaver socket and a bucket catching drips. Was the desk always here? No, no. The manager's uh, desk was always across there. Looking out to the pitch yeah, or? Yeah. 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 You can get, you could never get away from him. Even if he wasn't out, he'd be overlooking the pitch and, and then you'd, you'd occasionally hear the banging on the windows and you get the curly finger. So you might have to uh, explain yeah. that one for us, Maisie. Well, you know, he'd just be, you know, he'd be sat in his desk here and he'd be overlooking the pitch. And the next minute he'd be like, you, my office, now. You're like, oh, fair enough. And then you come in here, then you tail between your legs and they give you what for. What would that have been for on, uh, on the training pitch? It could be anything. Maybe not, on the, you know, if, he's, if you're messing about or... Um, kicking balls away, just general misbehaviour. Okay. Do you remember your first time in here? No, I don't know, but I have been in a few times <laughs> on the wrong side of being in the newspapers and stuff. Who was in here the most, would you say, in your time? Probably Bex and Giggsy, probably. What about you, Brian? I, I suppose McGrath. <laughs> 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 yeah, when I first got big, big Paul was always in trouble with the gaffer. Ron Atkinson used to do the same, though. Big Ron would uh, be doing office work. We would be getting on with the warm-up. Um, so that would be 20 minutes, half an hour after you've done the boxes and you warm-up. And then Ron would do exactly the same, like you'd be looking out the window, seeing if anybody's mucking about. And then he'd just smash on the window if uh, if he wanted anybody up. Uh, but then Ron was a bit different to the gaffer because... So Alex used to stand and watch. Ron would come down and join in the training. <laughs> he used to think he was a player. After some bit. They're not even double glazed windows, those either, are they? No, I really no. thought Mason could put his hand through it. They, they are definitely not. No. But in saying that, I never saw one broke. No. no. That's a good thing. Even by it? the balls and that. I was uh, going to say, yeah, he used to smash balls at the windows as well. Well, you would? Yeah. Winter Alex was How did that go? No, not for the gaffer, no. God, no. No. When, when I got a for being in the newspapers for something that I never did. Um, I came and shitted myself thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get the biggest in the gaffer. And I walked in probably about nine o'clock in the morning. I spoke to a kid all the day before because I knew it was coming out and he said, just go and see the gaffer early on. 
So I did. And um, I said, I'm not sure if you've seen the newspapers. He said, no, I haven't. I don't read them. So I had to tell him the full story of what was in the newspaper. He had seen it, though, hadn't he? He was just saying that's yeah. Mickey said. Yeah. So he did. He would have been He knew yeah. all about it. Um, so he said, no, I'll explain what's going on. What was the story? I ended up in a fight somewhere in, in, in Rochdale. I'd been out on a Sunday. So we played Leeds on the Sunday, beat them 4-0. Eric missed a penalty and uh, came home, went out with my mates, brothers, ended up in a pub and kicked off. Next week after then, it was in the newspapers. So actually you were in the fight? It only sounds like well, it, doesn't well, it? You no, don't need no, to lie just because you're in here, maybe no, were you in the fight actually, or not? I wasn't actually in the fight because it was just a, this lad trying to provoke a fight. Mm. Right. And, you know, I'd, uh, and so then, you just chained him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he wasn't involved. But I, I wasn't involved, no. no. All my mates were like, yeah. No, I, I, the thing about that one as well, though, Dave, is that we're, we're talking about the gaffer sort of like having a go. That that wasn't all the time, you know. Sometimes people get carried away and you think it was just the hairdryer treatment and yeah. discipline all the time. That's impossible to keep up. You know, you've got to have a human side of where you're mellow and you have a bit of banter. And the boss always loved that side of it as well, where he'd have a bit of banter yeah. with the boys and treat them like men, you know, and that's why he got so much respect from all the players of every age group. Did you ever want to talk about non-football things? His knowledge, I, I, I don't know whether he used to just tell us lies because yeah. like, he, he'd just come out with anything about wines, about countries, about cities and all this sort of thing. And he'd tell you a story about film stars and all this sort of thing. And we'd all look at each other going, is that right? Is he talking a load of bull? And you weren't sure. So, because we didn't have mobiles then where you could just check up yeah. on everything. On your encyclopedia? Yeah, but, but he was. He was just a storyteller. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Well, he still is now. Yeah. yeah. Just retains all that information because he knows everything about every player's family before they join the club as well, don't they? And he remembers everything about that. I, I saw that firsthand because... When he started talking about developing like the youth system within the club again, and he wanted to be like the Busby Babes, uh, what he did, he brought Nobby Styles and Brian Kidd back into the club and they were gonna recruit. And he had a dossier on all, even the schoolboys, what the background was, what the family were. And so as soon as they joined the club as YTS, he knew everything about the family and not just the kid. What were your thoughts when he was appointed? Because, of course, you'd been playing under Big Ron. Did you know much about him? Were you worried about a new manager coming in? Well, you're always a little bit concerned uh, when a new manager... I mean, you feel a bit guilty when the manager who you're playing under uh, gets the sack because you're obviously not doing your job very well because sometimes the manager gets the blame, but sometimes the players have got to take part of that on board as well. Um, so we knew uh, a bit about Salix because... Ron Atkinson had signed Gordon Strachan and then Strack was telling us about how disciplined he was with the young lads at Aberdeen, how he brought them up, how he'd find out wh wherever they were in the city, like up at Aberdeen, if they were at nightclubs and all that, he knew everything. And so we knew that the bus was going to be like that when he first came to the club, that he's going to install discipline, He's going to try and find out everything and have his scouts around the city uh, so then he knows everything you're doing. And he was pretty good at it. <laughs> he was. 
So he was in a taxi, and the next minute, uh, Giggsy and Sharpie, they'd ordered a taxi. He heard over the the taxi radio, Giggs and Sharp are going back, uh, but we need another couple of cars because uh, they've got a party going on in the house. And the gaffer was in this taxi, and he heard this over the radio. And so that's why he changed the taxi from not taking him home to actually going to Sharpie's house. And he threw them all out. He went in the house and he threw. He, he told everybody to get out and then give them to a f***ing. But do you remember, I guess, did you find out about that when you turned up for training whenever the next session was and everyone was talking about it? Yeah, it was Giggsy and Sharpie because they were f***ing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, Brian, you were captain in your time here under Sir Alex as well. Did you have meetings in here with him or where would they be held? No, I mean, in, in the main, the boss would always talk to the whole squad, uh, not just myself, because I was captain. But every now and again, um, if he just wanted to readdress something, then he'd say, I, I want to have a word with you upstairs. And then we'd come up and he'd ask the mood of the lads, you know, how they were feeling, what I was thinking about as far as, you know, formations and everything to the team. Uh, so you'd have one-on-ones like that, but not very often because in the main, it's it's a team game and everybody needs to know what's going on. Uh, but the boss really, it was just how the lads were feeling really and, you know, was everybody happy? Could we change anything which uh, would help improve? Uh, so as a manager, he was always asking those sort of things when it was just with uh, myself. In terms of knowing things from him regarding upcoming games people always talk about how he would let people know if they were or weren't in the squad Gary Neville spoken about how he would make him feel valuable by dropping him for three games by saying I need you for this game in three weeks time would you find out here if you were playing at the weekend no uh, normally not uh, with Ron Atkinson we always used to find out the team sort of in the hotel or at the stadium when you're having pre-match meal and then Sir Alex for a long time because we didn't stay in hotels in my time we would report to Old Trafford at 12 o'clock. You'd have a, a fair idea because of what you'd done on, you know, on the training ground of what the team was going to be. Hour and a half before the game, then we'd go into the meeting room at Old Trafford and the boss would have his team meeting and se- select the team then. Um, so that's how we operated. Nice. Maisie, if you weren't playing, would he always yeah. have... Would he always sit you down and explain why that was yeah. not happening? Even like, say if it was um, like four games in a row. Well, at uh, uh, Old Trafford, as Rob said, we used to find out till the Saturday. And he would send either Kiddo up there or Jimmy Ryan up into the dressing room. We'd be sat in the dressing rooms. And um, Kiddo would just pop his head around the corner and just say, Maze it, Gaffer wants you. So you know then. So, okay. you, so you, your answer to that is, Kiddo, just tell him I know. It's all right. <laughs> um, but the Gaffer had explained. He said, look, you know, I, I'm resting you for this game. Such and such is coming up and um, this, that, the other, or whatever it is. He says, but, you know, you'll be sub and if need be, you know, you'll get on and you'll you'll do your bit. But. Is that something you took with you into management? Is that the way you like to do things then? Yeah, because the, the boss had his office opposite the dressing room uh, at Old Trafford. And, I mean, it's, it's still there now, the manager's office. And like Dave says, you know, he'd call a few players in, but you can't explain to everybody who's in the squad, you know, that they're going to be left out or you're not even on the bench or anything like that. So on a few occasions, the boss would actually say to the lads, look, you know, I haven't got time now. I've got to concentrate on the game. 
But on Monday morning, if you want to come in and we'll have a chat of why you're not in the team, you know. So he'd he'd always be man enough to to sort of pull each player and and say, look, this is the reason why you're not in the team, or come in on Monday morning and we'll have a chat about it as well. So he was always good like that. You you know where you're standing. Yeah. Either way, you knew it was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maisie, every story I've ever heard about him turning up here or for any training session would be that he would be here before every player every time. But that can't be true if you were in his well, space. It can't be true. Yeah. Maybe I just came in and the gaffer was away. Oh, he was, he was over at Old Trafford that or something. Yeah. Either, no. But yeah, it'd be here. He'd be first day and he'd be last away most of the time. He did that right up until the end as yeah. well. Always first in the gym. Yeah. He was, um, yeah, you'd come in at. I mean, I'd probably get in quarter to 10, 10 o'clock. Sparky would be here at 25 past 10 and he'd be away for 5 to 12. Did you have to be in for half 10? Training started at half 10, yeah. So Sparky was always last in, first away. Brian, what time were you in at? Uh, I always used to get in here about quarter nine, nine o'clock. Because like I said, I used to drop the kids off at school and then I'd just drive straight in. Um, made you look well lazy, amazing. And then well, I'm only 20 minutes away, so it's not too bad for me. <laughs> Yeah, it was like a 45-minute drive uh, for me. Like That's if the traffic was uh, pretty good. Um, but then what I would do, I wouldn't just sit down in the dressing room because there's not many of the lads are in at that time. I, I'd come up and the boss always allowed me to go in and I'd sit with the coaches uh, next door, have a cup of tea or a coffee with the, with the staff, which was good because towards the end of my career, it was really good educational because the boss would come in, he'd explain to the staff, what what they were doing and I'd just sit in the corner and have a cup of tea and then you listen to uh, the coaches planning what they were going to do how they lay out and everything and that so it's it was a good education to go into coaching and management so when you come in you used to have a little chat in there and then you went to the canteen should we head over that way okay we've wandered along the corridor we're in the canteen which is nowhere near as big as I would imagine it would be for like a football team, especially, I guess, because there was lots of teams training here with the age groups and stuff. Just a, a few tables and chairs stacked together in a corner and it's got that same musty smell. When you look back at the history it's got, as we were talking earlier on, it's, you know, it'd be something, it'd be foolish to not keep it as it is, I think. You know, traditional. Everybody can, you know, look at the history about it all. You know, I think it'd be great to keep it as as real really as we could but obviously you know times change yeah when when you're talking about the mustiness and how it's run down and everything i think the the club do have plans of sort of readdressing what they're going to do with this to do something with it to keep the history of the club um, but this has not really changed at all the kitchen was always there you used to have to queue up there and Teresa ran. I remember Teresa. Yeah, she yeah. ran the uh, show. Uh, but the only thing was, there was like a, a petition down there which was a bit like a pantry and it had a hatch as well uh, just there. So they've, they've obviously opened that up. That, that's the only thing that's changed. Otherwise, everything else is exactly the same. What was the hierarchy of uh, sitting down at the tables? Was there any, or did everybody just sit? No, oh, there was just one staff table, so nobody could go on the staff table. But uh, if you come up and the young boys, the, you know, the apprentices, if they were in, or the reserve lads, and that, if there was a couple of seats there, the first team would just sit down with them, you know, and 
you'd send them to get you a cup of tea or a coffee. <laughs> Educate. So there was only one, Educate. one time, I think, when, the, when the, the staff actually used to, used to serve us, wasn't it? Christmas, Christmas Day would come in. Christmas Day, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you could get your own back, really, on the staff by asking for extra stuff. And be like, yeah, no problem. So, you know, as you say, you get your food, you go and sit down. But Christmas Day, <laughs> you know, all the lads would be sat down and then the staff would then come out and serve serve all the players. So Yeah, the staff were really nice. good about it as well, though. But you, you used to drive them crazy because you, you go, um, oh, by the way, no Brussels sprouts, uh, no, no carrots on. And then they'd come across and you go, uh, I tell you what, I will have carrots. <laughs> <laughs> so they got to go back and get carrots. Harry Carrison used to look at me and he used to, I, I knew he wanted to smash me really. <laughs> but you just wind them up saying, saying that you wanted something else to make them go up and get it for you. Those traditions so, I was are so special, aren't they? I know that Sir Alex carried those on basically uh, until well, the end as well. You had that, but right right from where I was here, I mean, the, the kids having to do a pantomime. Yeah. And all that that was I brilliant. Like uh, <laughs> some of the states, I mean, I, I've seen the young lads in nappies and everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> so they, there used to be some great band. Like, not about. It's a pity we hadn't actually filmed it when when the lads had really? to do it. No, I don't know whether that is a pity or not. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, because uh, as a club, we could cut what we needed to cut yeah, out, exactly. but we could, we could have put some hilarious <laughs> stuff in there. Did it ever go wrong? Did people ever not find the funny side? Uh, some of the young boys, because you've got to remember, they were sort of 17 year yeah, old, uh, 17, 18. Uh, and so they were really nervous about doing it because sometimes they had to sing and all that, where they've never sang in their life like, and don't like singing. No, well, you've got to do it, that's your role. Um, it was all good fun. Yeah, so, yeah it was all good fun. Never, never malicious. All just good fun. But, Maisie, uh, you're bound to have started a food fight in here. Like, I don't know any stories, but... No, I, I mean, I, I bet you people think, yeah, young lads and all that sort of thing, you'd get into that. Well, you would get a and a half, not just off the gaffer, but the staff. The staff would go crazy if you made a mess like that. Would you sit with the same people every day? No. In my days, everybody just moved Mocked around together, it's, yeah. it's where, when you got out the shower and you you come up it's just whoever's there and you would obviously sit more with the senior players than what you would with the reserves and the apprentices but I, I mean like I used to know when the gaffer the gaffer had come in and the young boys all of a sudden the young boys would be like that and a few, on a few occasions the, the gaffer would go you where were you last night I've heard I've heard you were out weren't you and you go, no, Gaffer, honestly, I wasn't out. I wasn't out. Yeah, you were. You were at the local pub, weren't you? Anyway, go and get me a cup of tea. And I'd go, where's he going? Nah, he says, I haven't got a clue where he was. <laughs> <laughs> they, must have, uh, they must have been a bit like that with you. Like, for the, the, the much younger players, like, you're Brian Robson walking around, captain of Manchester United. You must have felt that sometimes, like, if you went into a room with some of them. I know so sometimes the young boys would be really good because they'd walk in and before they'd get the lunch, if we'd sat down and had our lunch and you, you want a, a pot of tea because there's a few of the boys want a cup of tea and that, you, you'd say to them, just get a pot of tea, five cups, six cups, and the young lads would always do it. But see, that's how I was brought up at West Brom and I thought it should respect to the senior players, 
um, it disciplines you that you're not big enough that you can't do that and go and get somebody a cup of tea. You know, so I, I think that's good ground and, and, you know, it should still go on. Not that you're bullying kids to do because if they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it, but you can go, well, that's a good character, isn't it? You know, he thinks he's too big to go and get first-team players a pot of tea. Did you ever have a word with any players? Did you ever feel like the responsibility of captaincy to see like academy players and think he's messing up I'm going to tell him I know you definitely do you know if you see in discipline with the kids and you're a senior player then you tell them straight and you go there's no room for that in this club you, you've got to grow up the right ways and they've got to respect furniture the, the things like we were talking about with Helen there about food and all that sort of thing they've got to respect that and if they're making a hell of a mess it's other people who've got to clean it up that makes sense quick question because over in the corner is a dartboard the underside of the wall is completely destroyed did you two ever have a go? should we have a look to see if it's still oh, in there actually? Ever have it. I think that's just been added over the last few years oh you never had this one? yeah honestly I, I can't I can't remember a dartboard being there and I, I know why really I mean if we had darts in here Incy would be throwing them into people's backsides and things it. like that he would <laughs> somebody's got a really bad shot because they've actually smashed the window above it <laughs> okay, over here actually there's a big I guess it's a big poster uh, full of information for people that maybe would be coming for the first time or I guess just to inspire people who are here now that are maybe younger and interested and down here we have a picture of a young Brian Robson playing just outside. Brian, do you remember this? And do you know what's going on? Yeah, I, I played it on a few occasions in the Lancashire A-League with the youth team because uh, I was coming back from injury and the boss on a few occasions just asked me. Uh, but that was good because, you know, I experienced playing with, you know, the Nevilles and Giggsy and Scolesy and all that just before they came into... The, the first team squad, if I had a go at them or whatever, not that you had to, because they were winning games 2-3, 4-0 all the time, uh, they were that successful. Uh, but that, that's a good experience for me as well, because you, you hope that you've helped the kids, uh, you know, in, in a, the few games that I did actually playing. Um, do you want to go to the gym then? We can go through the physio room first yeah. to the gym. Brian, you can lead the way because you... Well, Dave, you can. Go on, Dave. Right, we're in the medical room, which I think this Biggest is the... Biggest room so far. Yeah, also the only room that's carpeted. Well, the carpet is smells, new, I'm sure. It's the strongest smell in here, isn't it? Mm. I would say. A little say. bit fusty yeah. is what you would say. Yeah, it, it all used to be tiles. It's just so they put this in for whatever. Yeah. Keep your feet warm. Yeah, it was. It was always tiles with us, wasn't it? But then there was always uh, three, three treatment uh, beds when, when I first come. Yeah, four. Um, yeah, yeah, two and two. Yeah. This used to be the gossip room. Yeah. You used to... Everybody, you get changed yeah. to come up here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even the canteen, you, you didn't really tell stories and that, but for whatever reason, you used to come in here and all of a sudden you hear all the stories coming out of what the lads so did over the weekend. Yeah. And what they did. <laughs> That's because the manager was further away from here. Yeah, probably, yeah. How often would you be in here? You come up here every day, as Robert Yeah, said. more or less, because, you know, when I brought my uncle when I was at West Brom, like, I needed a strapping every day. So you'd come up here to get your strappings on and all that before you went for a cup of tea in the canteen. Seems like the most sensible place to ask. What's it like coping with injuries? Because certainly, Robert, in your last few years at United, your game time was restricted. No, because I wasn't really injured that many times, sort of like uh, that. That was because the gaffer had brought Keeney in 
And so I knew, you know, Incy was 22, Keeney was 21. Uh, so I knew it was going to be difficult for me to get in into the team round that, that time unless one of them two was injured. No, the, the, the thing is, when you, when you do get in, I mean, when I snapped my Achilles in the 1990 World Cup, uh, come back, had a couple of operations because the first one uh, didn't fix it. The frustrating thing about this and your training here is that you're on a bed getting treatment and you're watching the lads train out there. That's the hard thing because all you want to do is train, be out, lads, be out yeah. there with the banter and all that with the lads, but you're not, you're stuck in here for months. Did you enjoy training? Yeah, I love training. I mean, Training's you just do. Yeah. Because of the crack you can have. Well, you, you have the crack, Dave, yeah. don't you? But there's no pressure on it neither. I, I mean, there's pressure from the manager and the, the coaching staff because they want you to train like you play. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's enjoyable because there's no pressure on you. You're just playing five-a-sides every day with your friends, aren't you? Yeah, you've been doing <laughs> a lot Yeah, shooting, boxing, boxes, yeah. Just, I mean, from what, getting in at half 10 till 12 o'clock, quarter past 12, you know, that you'd be out there training, doing something that you love. And everything's just geared for the Saturday or the Wednesday, you know, whenever you played. And was the gym compulsory or did you just choose to go in there if you wanted? When I first came, it was uh, just if you wanted to go in yeah. and and use the the gym, you could go in. But no, it wasn't compulsory. But towards the end of my career, then like kiddo would try and get you to do a set routine, yeah, you know, of weights just to strengthen certain parts of your body. After training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scolesy never stayed around for that though, did he? Scolesy. Did he even stay for his he never stayed no. for lunch, did he? No. Scolesy's been like Sparky. <laughs> well, 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 well it was Sparky running. Scolesy, Clayton Blackmore. They're the only three players that I've seen just do not do a warm up. Like they just muck about like warm up yeah. warm ups and warm downs they just did not do. They just go out there and just Smash lash balls. a ball. Did that annoy you? Uh, no, it didn't annoy me because you've got to do what's right for your own body. But uh, those three could just go out and belt a ball. If I if I did that, I'd probably pull a thigh muscle every month. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so true. Should we have a little look at the gym? Because it's just through that door, isn't it? Yeah. So this is the gym. It's not big at all, is it? No. So when you were asking earlier, when Salix first came into the club, you know, what did he do? He had us all sitting down there, the first team, the reserves, uh, the YTS boys, uh, everybody was sitting in the gym and uh, the gaffer was standing here, Archie was behind him. And it was as simple as that. He just went, uh, you've all got a chance, you've got to prove yourselves, let's go out and train. And it was as simple as that. Mm-hmm. The gym's actually, it's the most modern part in here. And although this isn't the most modern gym I've ever seen, it looks very much like what you would see maybe in like a school gym or a university yeah. gym. It's like a classic sort of pine floor and then just a load of machines. I'm Which guessing... I'm sure haven't yeah, yeah, they I'm weren't sure here before, I guess. A no, bit newer than this. These sort, these sort of machines were not here uh, when I first came. So have a little walk down the stairs then. Who was the laziest in the gym, Maisie? Pally. Pally. Pally or Brian McClare. I can't imagine you liking the gym very much. No, I didn't like it myself. No, but I've spent many times in there. Hey, so. you don't get muscles like that from not working hard in the gym. <laughs> Underneath this, you know, there is a six-pack. <laughs> so was there ever a player, you were saying, Brian, when you um, first came, it wasn't compulsory. Was there ever players that were in here every day, though? Yeah, there was a few lads, people like Ray Wilton, Stevie Koppel, 
and that they like to come in the gym, you know, press ups and all that sort of thing, sit ups and all that. There's quite a few of the boys were like that rather than machines. <laughs> One of the things which was so simple, and the lads used to love it because they'd see how high you could get. There was like a string and you could pull the rope and there was a ball on it. And so you'd run and practice heading the ball. And ball just, and but everybody was trying to see who could get the highest, like you know. And uh, so the lads would have competitions as simple as that, rather than all the great machines that the lads have nowadays. Yeah. It's so different now, though, isn't it? Modern football, like every player, I'm sure, has a gym program. Yeah. For you, so it was just if you wanted to or not. Well, do when you look at Carrington and what well, there's about sixty bikes in there for people to sort of warm up. Uh, and go and warm down if they want to. You know, where in here we, I think we had one one or two. We used to have a guy who used to come in, Trevor Lee, he was a nutritionist. You know, he'd measure your body fat and, you know, your weight every week. Pally and Brucey used to go hiding. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't get the calipers on Brucey and Pally. <laughs> but that, that, was, that was it. And, you know, he used to tell us about your diets and all that sort of stuff that, you know, we'd never even think about. Did you just... ask that, Robert? Would they ask about your diet? Because yeah. you said about Fergie asking you not to drink and stuff. Yeah, so, you know, I, I was quite good at West Brom. An older guy, I got really friendly with him when I was staying in Diggs, and he had the best Italian restaurant in uh, Birmingham. Right? He used to do fantastic pasta, and so without even knowing it, my diet was pretty good for, for being a footballer. Basically, you were ahead of the game then, Brian? Making yeah. friends with Italians and eating pasta, yeah. and that's what everybody does. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so, but, you, you know, when we're talking about basics in the gym, I, I mean, I remember Archie Knox or Kiddo, and that they would come in here, and they'd set you a circuit rather than do big weights and machines and all that. So, I mean, I don't know if kids even see them nowadays. Medicine balls. Medicine balls. Oh, and, Andre used to do keepy-ups with a five-kilo <laughs> medicine ball. Yeah. 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 Your toe, you're out for a few well, weeks. Andre would reel off 50 keepy-ups with it. Well, when, it, when I was at West Brom, and like I, we didn't do it here when I came here, but when you're in the first team, you used to have to put your hands behind your head, lay on the ground, and your mate used to have the medicine ball and go, <laughs> and <laughs> drop it on your stomach, yeah. and and, and so sort of like so sort of like strengthen your stomach muscles, and so they used to do that, and you used to go, <laughs> work them, so things like that, and then you'd have a bench, and you'd you'd just do like a minute on the bench, but you had to just step up and yeah. step off, and and so you had all that rather than all these modern machines and that. So it was routines like that that you used to do, skipping ropes. Well, there's no chance you're going to throw that. On I said, I've just found a medicine ball. Should we test those abs? I remember the brown leather ones, yeah. the big brown leather ones. Is that what you're talking about? We used to have. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the one, the big brown leather yeah. ones. Yeah. That's It's got a bit of weight to it. That's a shot put. Yeah. That's only a little. Do you try and compete with Andre's keepy-ups? Not a chance. Not a chance. <laughs> That's not he heavy, though. Honest. He'd keep it up all day. It was mental. But Robert was right. You know, you, you drop that on your stomach. I don't actually know if it actually works. Because you don't see anybody doing it now. <laughs> the fact that you just have a big red yeah. mark on your stomach. Maybe that's and a sign that it. it didn't work yeah. then. Nobody's doing it now. Yeah, but you can imagine. It's a bit like yeah. a boxer getting punched. So yeah, to get ready. stomach to get ready. So we've just come into the boot room, which is a lot smaller than what I anticipated. You know why it's a lot smaller? Because in our days, players had two pairs of boots yeah. mm. and that's all you would have. And they had to last you the whole of the season. Otherwise, you had to buy your own pair. <laughs> um, where the lads now, what, they have 
12, 15 pairs of boots. But uh, that that reminds me because in our days, everybody wore aluminium studs or even the old, did you, the wooden wooden studs in that deal. So what they had to do, they had to vice your boot in there and then pull the inset out and put a new inset in. And so that's what that was for. And that's still yeah, there, the that. same place. Yeah, it's still, you were here. still that's there. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. I never knew they were wooden studs. Were they useful? They sound terrible. Look, honestly, they were brilliant. Were um, they? Yeah. If you were playing on sort of like snow, uh, but it was a little bit hard, yeah. because what it's would happen? Cork. Uh, yeah. But the the bottom of the cork, cork would wear off really quickly within the game, and so what you got? You got four nails. So if you caught anybody, like you'd, you'd, you'd like split their ankle and all that. So really good for tackling. What was the hierarchy in here? If you just joined the club, was there a certain place for your boots? Like, did you have the best spot for your boots, Brian? No, no, no not really. Um, looking at the wall, you can see where all the all the hooks would have been. Did you have the same yeah. spot though every there, day? There were, yeah, there were like boxes. So there was all boxes on, on the wall. And so you'd put your boots into the into the boxes. Yeah. But then the apprentices, that they would have to come in here. But then I heard the story. I thought Bex, he said, like, I thought it was, I was his favourite player. So Bex, when he, when he came into the club, wanted to clean my boots. So he cleaned the boots, and I always thought that's what it was because I was his favourite player. You're going to say it, you're it wasn't. <laughs> no, it's, it's because at Christmas I give the best tip, and he'd heard it from the lads who were apprentices before. I give the best tips, and that's the only reason why he wanted to clean my boots. What was a good tip back then? Uh, what was a good Christmas tip? Fifty quid. Mm. Yeah, fifty pound. Not bad, is it? No, it's not bad in them days. Lads' wages. Yeah. No, that'd be, that'd be the same as Robbo, you know. 40, 50 quid, depending on how, how well he looked after you. But it always seemed to, coming up to Christmas, you, your boots will be absolutely immaculate. Yeah. You know, and then just as after Christmas, once you give the tips out, they deteriorate again in a bit. Yeah, after Christmas, it'd be yeah. f***ed yeah. yeah. Was that every morning they used to clean your boots? Yeah. Because you, you, you had your training boots as well. Mm-hmm. So they had to clean them. All your match boots would probably be over it. At the ground stadium. And that's yeah, where they would to be yeah. fair, I always used to clean my own boots, my match boots. Uh, but in training, I'd always let the YTS boys uh, clean them. It's part of what, when I, when I were growing up, I took pride in cleaning. I think I had three professionals I had to look after. So it was my, it was my little bit of pride of making sure that the kit was there, the boots were spotless, you know, the balls were cleaned every day. You had to scrub the balls to make them, get them back to white. So it was... Robo mentioned it earlier on about, you know, doing things that are right, getting in that structure in your life of making things are right. And, you know, you had that little bit of pride of, you know, going out there looking smart and representing the club. Okay, so we're now walking into the dressing room here at the Cliff. We've turned it this afternoon into our podcast recording booth. It's where we're going to have a nice big chat with the guys. But first, where did you guys sit? Well, I sat over there. And I sat just there. So right in the middle, sort of facing uh, everybody. Yeah, uh, I had... I had Pally on my left and I think it was Paul Parker on my right. Before we sit down, should we have a quick look at this massive bath? Because I've just through a little doorway. Pictures, yeah. Some great pictures from that bath, isn't there? You can tell you walk through the toilet to get to your bath and the showers. <laughs> so the hygiene was really good. <laughs> Do you know what that? From 26 years ago when I was here, it's not changed one bit. 
Exactly. 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 The, the, the two big taps. I think. I think they sort of looked at knocking this out over the years, but then I think everybody came to the decision: Hey, this is a cliff training ground. It's got the history and everything, and that. Let, let's leave the bath until we know yeah. exactly what we're going to do uh, with the building and with the cliff. Yeah. Well, there are showers here. Were you a bath or a shower guy? Uh, always soaked in the bath first. Yeah. But then because of like. What well, being floating 18, 20, 18, 20 footballers in the same bath, uh, you used to get out the bath and then have a shower. <laughs> and who used to go in this little single bath here? Cantina. He used to, he used to yeah. capture that all the time. Uh, that was his bath in the end. When I first came as well, uh, Martin Buchan, because uh, he was captain like when I first came in the club, and that was Martin's bath. I'm no, telling nobody... you, that bath would go for some money nowadays, yeah. I'm sure. Well, how did Cantona get it? How did it become his? Because uh, Eric just loved to soak in the bath, and he wasn't bothered about being last away from the training ground, where a lot of the lads, they had kids, and that, so we were soaking the bath for... a. Uh, 10 minutes and that, then have a quick shower, go upstairs, have a bite to eat and get back. So then you make sure you're back to pick the kids up from school. It is exactly, honestly, God, it's exactly the same. Everything about it is so strange looking back. I thought you were going to turn the shower on me. No, I won't do that. I won't do that. But what you would do though, if you were sat there shampooing your hair and you've got a nice temperature, you would just was it down to freezing cold. (laughs) Anybody a good victim for that? Everybody. (laughs) <laughs> Anybody, everyone's a victim. Everyone's a target. <laughs> Maisie, always the troublemaker, never change. There we are. That was part one of our chat with Robbo. I absolutely loved hearing those old stories. That was just brilliant. It was. The, the building had like a proper aura about it, didn't it? Like going into Sir Alex Ferguson and Sir Matt Busby's former office was amazing. Seeing a bath in the corner was then sort of surreal. Strange, isn't it? It mm. is. But that's exactly how it was. It's not changed at all, one bit. Even the bath in the changing rooms, just exactly the same. Some great stories there from Robbo. Was there anything that you hadn't heard before? or um, The one about the gaffer with Inse. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. That was brilliant. Yes, that is absolutely brilliant. Really is. For those that enjoyed that story as well, keep your eyes on the app because although obviously while you're listening, you can't see it, but we did have some cameras there and Robert was acting that out. He was hiding behind the door, pretending he had a gun and he just sort of jumped out of the door as he explained the story. And you should be able to see that if you get yourself on the app. And we've also, of course, got part two of Robbo, which mm-hmm. is the very next thing we're doing. Uh, after he gave us our tour, we sat down in the old dressing room and uh, we just got into it, didn't we? All about his career, the highs, the lows, management, United, everything. We could have talked for about four hours. Uh, quite easy. Quite In fact, easy. I'm sure we talked for nearly four hours. Sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the fact is, as well, you've got Robbo joined in 81. Mm-hmm. I think we, we left the cliff in 97, 98. So it's like 17 years, 16, 17 years of coverage yeah. at the cliff. Memories of it. Well, this is where all the banter happened. Lads telling stories, daft pranks going on. I can always remember uh, me, Stevie Coppel, Ray Wilkins went to a variety club, uh, Great Britain, function in um, Leeds. Ray decides he's had enough and he's a little bit tipsy. So the car that they'd put on for me, Steve and Ray, Ray said he's going outside to have a sleep. Uh, we walk out at the, when me and Steve are ready to go, car's gone. 
and he went home in the car. So me and Steve had to get a taxi <laughs> back from Leeds. <laughs> so Ray had these really nice like loafer shoes uh, the next day at training. And I went to Billy, the lad who ran the building, uh, can you get me two six-inch nails and uh, a hammer? And I hammered both his shoes into the bench. Oh, that was so much better than what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to put a nail up his shoe. I know, I know. I wouldn't have injured my teammate like that. But his shoes weren't any good. (laughs) Okay, so the way we're set up is Robbo and I are now on a physio bench. And I guess we're in the half that would have been the reserves. Yeah. And Maisie and Helen are sat on the bench opposite us in what I guess was the first team half. In the corner, I've just spotted, is an old set of scales. Are those the ones you would use for your weekly weigh-ins? Monday weigh-ins, yeah. Yeah, the, and they actually do look like the, the originals. They do look like the originals. They look incredibly old. Incredibly. these benches that we're sitting on? Maybe the, no, the, these are, are the original. I mean, we, we mentioned it earlier there. I think they've been covered a few times. No, these, these look exactly the same as what they were 20 odd years ago. Same as the pine all around us. Yeah. Looks like it would have been, that would have been here when Sir Matt was here. Yeah, of course, yeah. This dressing room walking into it, was like take you back you know when i was 24 25 year old it's incredible it's not not changed even the bathroom it's not changed one bit exactly the same tiles same showers was this kind of your area or did the manager ever come in do your changing room uh the manager now and again would have a meeting in here because obviously 10 minutes before you're going to go out training all the lads would be you know getting the boots on and so everybody would be more or less in here at that stage and so it made it easy for the boss rather than rounding everybody mm-hmm. up early on in the morning or mid-morning just come in the dressing room and just say nobody leave until a couple of the lads come down from the canteen because i just want a five minute meet and before we go out training i mean he'd have quite a few meetings in the dressing room and when he came in was it silence oh not really it's just the gaffers in and whenever he spoke you know everyone just kind of shut up and listen to what he had to say then get out and, and crack on with training and stop putting nails in people's shoes yeah did if he get he'd have walked that? in when you'd have done that what oh, would he have done did it get me back for it he left me in Leeds <laughs> <laughs> who's in the wrong yeah. uh, could you imagine my sh- the state of my shoes walking back from Leeds if I'd had no money on me <laughs> if you'd have been caught doing something like that with the managers either manager or I would have laughed yeah. oh. Ron Atkinson or uh, so Alex would laugh at that sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah. as long as I paid for the damage yeah. and, the, and the nails <laughs> did either of them change anything here in the transition between having Big Ron and then Sir Alex coming in did they have their own I guess ideas of how the facility should be set up so did you notice that with the departure of Ron and no it was it was very similar because uh, I mean that wall was still in when Sir Alex uh, was here um, so he didn't change that uh, bathroom stayed exactly the same uh, so the bus didn't really change that much apart from the canteen he just opened the canteen up that little bit more uh, to give people a bit more space but other than that yeah you didn't really have room to change no. to change so much small. it's small surprisingly small okay should we talk a little bit about your career on the pitch can do if we have to <laughs> seems, seems like a waste not to I think, I'm sure we'll have you back on but there's so much to talk about it just seems while we're sat here there might be a few little gems you can tell us like, do you have any specific favourite moments for you? Well a few stand out so actually winning a trophy FA Cup uh, the first one first major trophy that I won um, in 83 
that was a great moment, scoring two goals, winning 4-0. Uh, so that stands out. But for me, my favourite one-off was Rotterdam when we won the European Cup Winners' Cup against Barcelona, winning the game 2-1 against a great team like Barcelona. Uh, that was a special night, you know, on one-off winning. Uh, but my favourite of all time is the 92-93 winning the title. You know, because everybody kept saying it, oh, it's 24 years, it's 25 years since we won the title. So on the 26th year, when you actually win that, and then I can always remember seeing Samat Busby's smiling face in, in the crowd. You know, so it was great that he was still alive when we actually achieved that. Mm-hmm. Um, so those for me, uh, actually winning things was the, the, the great times in, in my career. Uh, but then the Barcelona one as well in 84 when we got beat 2-0 in Barcelona, came back, won 3-0, scored a couple of goals. But for me, why that comes into it, because we didn't win anything that year, but why I mention that is because for me, it was the best atmosphere uh, I'd ever witnessed in Old Trafford and still is. That's pretty incredible, isn't mm-hmm. it? Do you know, going back to the 93 against Brighton? 83. 83, sorry. You had... And this is what I love about you, is that you are a team player. Is that you sat on two goals, you get a penalty, you got a chance of scoring an hat trick in a yeah, it would have been the first one in thirty years, you know. And yet you said yeah. to Arnold, I know. No, uh, Ray Ray Wilkins said to me, he says, "They go, Rob, we'll get a hat trick." And I just went, "Cheers, Ray!" Like so, I got the ball, but then I threw it to Arnold because, for me, if we were one nil down, yeah, Arnold had never missed a penalty for the club. And so that's why I threw it to Arnold saying, no, you're the, you're the penalty taker, so you take it. Uh, so that, that's why I turned down. I mean, it, it could have been okay for me because we were 3 0. Yeah, up, that's what I mean. Yeah. And I actually got brought down for the penalty yeah. as well. But it didn't really bother me because all I was interested in it's was winning. winning the FA Cup. And uh, that's yeah. why I threw the ball to Arnold. I read an interview the other day uh, with David Beckham. I know you mentioned him earlier because he used to clean your boots. And he was, he'd, been, uh, he'd won like a Man of the Year award or something. And he was asked about his career in total and about like, what he's doing now and the different stages. And four times in that interview, he mentioned you by name as an inspiration for hard work, for dedication, for committing to something and for giving it your all. No, well, it, it's always nice, yeah, you know, for your teammates, ex-teammates and that to talk highly of you. But, you know, all I ever wanted to do was sort of work hard, be a, a, a footballer. And uh, when people say, well, what do you want to be remembered for? Well, all I want fans and uh, teammates who I've played with to be remembered is just he was a real hard worker, but also had great ability. It's 30 years down the line, Brian, and people are still saying we need a Brian Robson. I think people clearly do <laughs> think that. You hear that every single day, don't you? Um, but maybe those tips worked for David Beckham then because, look, he's mentioned you four times. Those boot cleaning tips obviously worked, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they certainly did. Uh, I tell you what, I should have cleaned his boots and then I, we could have reversed it uh, and I could have been the superstar all around the world. <laughs> in, uh, in 2011, you came top of a pole for the club's greatest ever player. How do you process stuff like that? Yeah, well, I, I think it's because when, when you look at, there's a lot of players that, died you know from the Busby Babes era and then a lot of players have played with me because I was here for 13 years you know some of the lads even like Dave I never played with but like I'd played against 
um, and so people know you from that way. So uh, I was sort of like in that age group of where everybody more or less knew me, where some of the players didn't particularly have that. Um, and so that's why I'd sort of just nicked in front of George and Sir Bobby. So what you've done is deflect being named Manchester United's greatest ever player to being you played at the right time. No, yeah, I, I think it was. I, I mean, I, I mean George Best and Sir Bobby, I thought they'd win it, and that's why I voted for Duncan Edwards. Uh, and I beat them by one <laughs> two. And I beat them by one, one so vote in two. <laughs> so, well done, Duncan. Please, please, uh, those are meant to be what, about, what about today's market? What would you be worth? I know it's hard to put a figure on yourself. Uh, David, like, I'm not really bothered could, could, about... Could you actually play in today's game? Absolutely, I know, I know no you, problem. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, because I'd be fit enough, you, your intelligence doesn't leave you as far as how to know how to play the game. Uh, you'd have to calm down on the tackling because I mean. that's the yeah. rules. But I, I wouldn't be really bothered about how much like uh, I would be in the transfer market. It's what I would do with 600 grand a week. <laughs> that would be a problem, be how drink. to spend that, it. That would be some drink. <laughs> <laughs> Where did Captain Marvel come from? Uh, that was Bobby Robson. Uh, we were playing... Yugoslavia um, in Belgrade and uh, we needed to beat Yugoslavia in the away game I, I score an early goal create the next goal and we win 4-0 in uh, Belgrade which was a great result and anyway I, like I got man of the match in all the papers and that but Bobby Robson in the press conference after the game I went in with him he's the chatting about the game and everything and how well we played and how well I'd played. And then he said, well, what do you expect from Captain Marvel? And that's where it came from. And then all the media loved that because it was an easy headline for them. Um, and then it just stuck with me after that. What were you like as a captain? Um, I think I, I, I hope to think that the lads, well, I, I know that the lads think I was fair, but I was quite demanding. If I thought people were getting lazy or they ducked a challenge or a tackle, then I'd have a right go at them, and rightly so, because it's your living um, and you're trying to get the best out of your teammates. But if the lads did really well, then I'd encourage them and say, oh, that's, that's brilliant and all that, and applaud them and praise them on the pitch. You know? But then off the pitch, I always feel that I was quite uh, central to having bonding days where the lads went out three, four times in the season, uh, had a great time together because then you talk about each other's family and all that sort mm -hmm. of thing. You have a laugh with each other and all that rather than it being football all the time. So I think I was quite central in getting that organised and, you know, the lads enjoyed those days. How much do you think you influenced Roy Keane as a captain here? Yeah, I mean, I only uh, played with Roy for the one year but Roy sort of took on board for me the way, not that he didn't before he joined this club, but the way I trained. So the arguments we'd have on the train pitch or in the dressing room because he wanted better from each other. Uh, so I think Roy took that on board, but then he also took on board, you know, these days out where we, we'd all go out mm -hmm. for a day out and have a laugh outside of the environment of football. Uh, and Roy took that on board. You know, but Brucey, when he was captain just after me and then Eric, 
uh, Eric loved those days as well. And so the club just took that on board. And then when Roy uh, became captain and then the class of 92 came through, even them, they, they always enjoyed those bonding days. Mm-hmm. So I think it was an influence on Roy in that, in that way rather than being a player. Maisie actually got a bit, a little bit emotional. Sorry, Maisie, to bring that up. But a few weeks ago, we were talking to him about when he actually left. Do you ever look back at that time and get emotional thinking about it? Obviously, you were going on to be a player manager. It was an exciting time, wasn't it? But was there a part of you that just pulled out of the car park and cried? Like no, I was. <laughs> yeah, no, I was. It was disappointing um, because we'd won the title the year before. Then we won the double. The boss had built a really good team. He knew the young lads were coming through. And, and so you, you always want that little bit more. And I think I was 37 at that time. And I thought after winning the double and being part of that, I thought he might just give me one more year. But I suppose everybody says yeah. just one more year, just one more year. But I, I have got to remind everybody, because I remind Sir Alex this all the time. So we won the double. I went to Borough who finished 14th. We won the championship. Uh, and the title and United never won anything that year that year. Coincidence? See there's a few there's a few people don't realise that. He has said that he one of the hardest things he's he ever did in management was leaving you out of the FA Cup final squad. Yeah, but yeah, you know, at the time I was really disappointed, obviously, because I'd scored in the semi final against Oldham with one four nil and so I at least expected to be on the bench. How many was on the bench then? I think it was only two, two, I think it was, Dave, yeah. yeah. Um, so he, he put Nicky Butt on the bench because he said that he wanted to... He, I got that knock on the door yeah. the night Clearly before the cup final. Yeah. And I went, I don't want... I was rooming with Brian McClare and I'm going, don't want this conversation because I know what's coming. Uh, so he walked into the room and he, he, he said he was going to leave me out. He said... Uh, I, I was no good to him for next season where Nicky Butt was and he was going to put Butty on the bench for the experience. Right. Uh, so was, Chucky in, was Chucky in there with you? Yeah. 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 So when that door shuts? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know how sick Chucky yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, to, to be fair, you know, Chucky didn't really say much because he knew how disappointed I was. But then you, you go, water goes under the bridge and everything and then being a manager myself and being at three cup finals, I know how difficult it is trying to be fair to all the boys, but you also have got it in your own mind that you want to win the cup final. So you select from that. Um, you know, so I know it was a difficult decision for the manager, but I could see his point. It's last game of the season, uh, we were big favourites going in against Chelsea and I was no good to him for the next season because I was going to Middlesbrough. Did you know already at that point that you would be going to Middlesbrough? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd had a meeting sort of six games before the end of the season and I'd more or less made the decision that I was going to go to Middlesbrough as player manager. I, know, I never had the pleasure of playing with you, but I played other games with you from then on in. Speaking to you know, likes of Snoz and Clayton and Butty Scolzi, playing at the cliff where we are now, in the younger days when you used to play these games... And one of the lads would get done. They always used to say that, but Robbo would look after us. Uh, well, I think over the years people got to know that. Uh, if I think there was one with Sharpie and was it Paul Stewart? Was Sh- it? Sharpie with Paul Stewart. That's Paul Stewart one. tried to top him when he played for Tottenham. Uh, and what happened there? But he, he hurt, well, he hurt him. Paul Stewart was carried off. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about it? <laughs> no, not too much. The FA might still try to turn around and try and find me now. But um, no, he topped uh, Sharpie, Sharpie, and so I decided that I'd top him because uh, Sharpie was just a young lad. It was the same with Giggsy at Sheffield. And did you, did you feel United. that was your, as a captain? Yeah, was I, wasn't your, go, I wasn't going to have anybody people bullying, bullying the, kids. the kids who were on my side in yeah. my team. Um, so if if they were going to play the game like that, then I would have to do that because I knew that Giggsy and Sharpie at that age yeah. couldn't couldn't look after sort themselves. Of, so well, it, it's not look after themselves, Dave. You you know the game. It's get them back. Yeah. You, you know because they they didn't really know how to do because the kids. Um, so. What about your other ch- other challenges? Obviously, people going about Sooners being hard, McMahon being hard, Vinnie Jones. Who's the hardest? Uh, for me, Jimmy Case. Jimmy Case was really difficult to to get back. So he leave his foot Did on. Did you always uh, feel that like you had to get him back, or would yeah. you would you wait? <laughs> <laughs> would you wait to the next game and think, well, I've got you in another oh, four or five oh, five no, games? Went, went in the memory bank. Yeah. Um, so if somebody had and really hurt your ankle or... Yeah, tried to do you. Caught caught you quite well. Because you broke your leg three times, was it? Yeah, but that was right in the early days with West Brom. No, but did you ever think, I'll learn from that? Uh, Nobody's going to top me again. again. Yeah, and so that's why I got a bit more evil on the pitch than what I was when I was a kid. Right. Because, like, I broke my leg three times, like, when I was 19 to 21. Was that naivety, like? Yeah. Just... Uh, Yeah, just went for the ball and... Uh, I mean, the last one when I broke my ankle, which was for me probably the worst injury because it still affects me now, mm-hmm. where it's a bit sore. Um, but Dennis Stewart, he, he knows, he, he topped me when he was playing for Man City against West Brom. And he's the lad who'd done your ankle? He yeah, broke your ankle, he, right? Yeah, he But he knew me. what he was doing? Yeah, he knew exactly what he was doing. Did you get him back? No, nah, because he retired soon after that. <laughs> But I'm quite friendly with him now because he lives in Ale. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to Jimmy Case. still time to get him back. Yeah. No, like Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy. J- Jimmy Case, he was really clever at getting you. But then Jimmy would just stay away from the ball. So you're trying to get him back and he'd not go anywhere near the ball if you were around him yeah. because he knew that you were going to try coming. and get him back. Uh, so he was so cute at it. But then it was funny because... Years after I'd finished uh, my career and Jimmy had finished his career, we were out doing a Man United Liverpool legend thing over in Dubai. And I I went uh, with a few of the lads because I knew them from England camp. And so I was sitting with quite a few of the Liverpool boys and we're having a beer. And I I went to Jimmy, I went, see you, you were so clever at like the way you did it and then you'd stay away from the ball and all but you know what it was you know when I used to mouth at you and all that you never said anything he got Robo have you seen that and that and he's got two big earring aids and he says I was friggin deaf <laughs> that was brilliant Brilliant. Well, we've had a look around here and there's so many photos of you up around the building some great memories but I'm just going to show you this one can't be more better photos of you than that, Brian. Uh, wow. This is Brian in his uh, yeah, what, what's half that and half do with kit of Middlesbrough. What's that got to do with my? I just wanted United. to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his shorts on, his socks, and a suit on top. No, well, you, you know where that come about. The commercial manager, he, he came up to me and he went, when we were doing the press conference and I was joining Middlesbrough as player manager, he went, this would be great if you have a suit and jacket on, wear the shorts and all that. So half manager... 
half player. Yeah. And I went, really? And they went, yeah, we'd love you to do it. So I like, yeah. Did Sir Alex ever comment on that? I can imagine he would have something to say about that when he left. Yeah, not good. No. So, so many um, memories here. What, what would be your favourite memory, each of you, from being at the cliff? If you had to just pick one. Probably. And it's a funny one. Big Peter Schmeichel coming out of the bath. And Nicky Butts um, just made a, made a pot of tea. And he's uh, stirring the tea. And Big Pete asks for a... Uh, Go on, I'll have a, I'll have a tea with one sugar. <laughs> um, but he's stirring it. And Big Pete's uh, toweling himself down. With his Ampton hanging out and hot spoon right on the end of it. And you can imagine this room, because obviously the partition had gone then. Benches were still here and Big Pete's legging it around. These two benches chasing Butty with a little blister on the end of it. <laughs> so funny times. I know, yeah, I know. Uh, I know. But it just, it just sticks in my mind. That, <laughs> this, just being on this bench and there used to be a little table at the end of the bench. Yeah. What about you, Brian? Uh, it's got to be Giggsy again. Uh, we mentioned about his club car. And uh, anyway, when the boss had told him where to go out of his office. So there's this guy called Freddie Frost who had a garage just over the road. And he used to do all repairs if the lads had, had a little bump on the car or whatever and that. And he helped all the lads out with the cars. He had a bit of a scrapyard as well. And so I said to Freddie, whatever is still licensed, I says, but it's an old banger and it's a wreck of a car. Can you bring it onto the car park uh, when we're out training? So if you bring it round at about 11 o'clock. And so uh, anyway, he comes down. So we're going to Giggsy. By the way, I had a word with the gaffer and we thought it was a bit unfair, like a couple of months ago that you didn't get a club car, but you've been in the first team squad all the time. You're in the first team dressing room. I've had a word with the gaffer. <laughs> We've got your club car. <laughs> this car had no windscreen in it. <laughs> it had about 20 dents in it. <laughs> Everything like it went, there's the keys. <laughs> oh, that was well, have you enjoyed being down here today? Loved it. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, fantastic brought about so many memories mm -hmm. so good it's crazy that just nothing has changed as you two say yeah. since your day it's been very eye-opening Robbo thank you so much thanks Al um, thank you Helen what have you learned today I've learned how small this place is it's yeah. been quite a surprise to me actually and I've just enjoyed really hearing the guys stories yeah um, and someone's off off uh, microphone too but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well I've learned never to accept a cup of tea from Nicky Butt yeah, yeah. Okay, an important lesson we can all take with us that. yeah don't accept a car from all no no never accept <laughs> no. a car from Rob and don't park in the manager's space no <laughs> lots of life lessons for yeah. us all thank you both so much uh, particularly you Brian it's been really really enjoyable no, hearing all great. the tales thank you thanks very much pleasure so that was it, part two of the legendary Brian Robson. He has got so many stories. The highlight for me, though, is the destruction of that car for Ryan Giggs. <laughs> there's many more. There's many more. But that is a funny story. There, there's, it's packed with funny stories. And listening to him, knowing that he's a club legend, knowing that exactly what he's saying is the truth, and that actually went on, just just makes it even funnier. I joined in 1994-95, Robbo left that season. So, yeah, we never, we, our paths never crossed, but um, over the last 15, 20 years, you know, we've become uh, good friends. And uh, even now, the lads, you know, Butty, Scolzi, Giggsy, 
Ben Thornley, Keith Gillespie, those lads, every single one of them looks up to Brian Robson. Because I don't really know about him because my dad would talk about him. But I don't, obviously I don't remember like a lot about him from life. The funny thing is, though, you always hear people saying, oh, he's going to be the new Brian Robson. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's we need a Brian Robson. So, you know, it doesn't matter the age, really, does no, it? it's true. Like, yeah. yeah, his name yeah. is just shorthand for phenomenal central midfielder, yeah. someone who's going to work really hard. Yeah, the best in the business. So, Helen, you're now with your third child. Um, obviously, you've got an absolutely busy lifestyle, international jet setter. Any stories to tell us? Well, international jet setter, funnily enough, I did want to go and watch some internationals. So I'm packing to go and watch Northern Ireland against Holland. Big, big game for us. As you say, I'm quite heavily pregnant. So I thought, well, this might be my last time to travel. So I'm going to take advantage before I have three mm-hmm. kids and I'm not going to be able to go anywhere ever again in my life. So I'm looking for my passport the day before. Bearing in mind, Johnny had gone to Holland on the Sunday. This was now Wednesday and I was flying on the Thursday. So I'm looking for my passport. So I texted Johnny, Johnny, have you seen my passport? Yes, I did. I seen it the other day when I was packing. And um, I threw it over the banister and the stairs. And I'm thinking, why would you throw it over the banister and the stairs? Like, my passport? angry? <laughs> no, I think he was just probably trying to get rid of it. I don't know. What, I actually don't know what he was doing. Probably tidying in his mind. Right. Yeah. So I texted Johnny and I said, just check in your bag. No. Of course. No. Johnny took my passport to Holland. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be flying the next day. By the way, this is half two, so it's too late to go and get an emergency passport. And I've got to go and pick the kids up from school in this time. So I thought, that's it. I'm not going. I'm not going to Holland. Big, massive game for Northern Ireland. Devastated. That's a great shot, by the way. Throw it over the balcony and it up in his bag. Yeah. Great shot. No, no, no. no. He, he thinks he threw it over the, oh, right. the banister, but really what he <laughs> did was put it back in his bag. <laughs> so I'm thinking, that's it. I'm not going to Holland. Like, gutted. Anyway. Obviously, Johnny was in a bit of a panic because I hadn't been very well the week before. So I think he thought this little, yeah. you know, give me a wee boost going to Holland, feeling better. So he got someone very, very kindly from the IFA to fly over at five o'clock to Manchester. Bearing in mind, he only found out at half two, he'd lost my passport. I've never seen him do anything so fast in his whole life. This guy flew um, from Amsterdam to Manchester with my passport Johnny's dad went and picked it up and then he flew back to Amsterdam again so I was able to go the next day oh what a superstar do you know what isn't that so lovely what a ledge but thankfully we did get there in the end okay but I'm just having a lot of travel traumas recently but hopefully (laughs) that'll be the end of it because there won't be much more travelling after this love that yeah right that's it thank you for listening all the way to the end hopefully that means you enjoyed this episode if so please leave us a review and remember to subscribe so that next week you get the new episode as soon as it comes out 